welcome back to the final chapters episode of Rhythm of War. We have finished the book. Paul, how are you? I don't know anymore. We're here. Come on. You got to have some sort of feeling. No, no, no. no. I, I'm extremely excited. I'm extremely excited, and I cannot wait to talk to you all about it, but I don't know how much my mental can take it because the things I want to talk about are, are just like kind of a little mind boggling. I've been trying to figure out where I even stand or where my predictions actually are. So I'm excited. I'm super looking forward to getting into this episode with y'all as we wrap up our final, final bit of Rhythm of War. Elliot. I cannot believe we made it. I, I remember very vividly when Riv Rhythm of War came out and we were like coming up on the end of Wave Be Kings or beginning something like Words that. of Radiance was when yeah it when it hit yeah. And I just remember thinking after taking so long with with Wave Kings, thinking, oh man, it's gonna be forever before we even start that book that Trevor just went off and read with with all of you guys, and and yet here we are before before you know it, we're a year gosh two years later. And we've now finished Rhythm of War and we get to have these crazy fun conversations of what comes next? Where are we going? Let, let's spin the theories, all, all the fan theories, funnel them my way. I, more, the, more the merrier. Yes. Theories, as you guys experienced last episode, we can talk for a while about theories. And I think that will be the case this week as well. Um. Chapters 115 through the epilogue are for today. Next week, we will be doing a whole book wrap-up like we've done with the previous books. We'll be rating it and zooming out and observing the book as a piece of literature as opposed to, like, you know, in the weeds of these specific chapters. So we won't be talking about the whole book this week. That'll be next week uh, for those uh, listening. Not to be too clickbaity, but you are not going to believe what I put into my ratings. I'm going to, I'm going to shock you guys. I'm calling it now. Oh, that has me intrigued. Okay. And then after next week, we will be doing a stormlight five teaser. Maybe we will be reading all of the content that we have received. Um, that anybody has received for stormlight five up until now. Um, and we'll be talking about some, some stormlight five stuff the week after that, and then we'll probably be breaking uh, from weekly episodes somewhere after that uh, pretty quickly. So that is your that is your schedule for the coming weeks. Uh, but for now, Paul, do you have two words to summarize episode 131? I do. I do. Um, somehow. My two words are restoration and trickery. Okay. Uh, Elliot, I forgot your name for a second. Elliot. It's not like you've known me mine your entire life. The <laughs> my two words, uh, my two words for this set of chapters, not the book as a whole. I was I was tempted before without you know thinking about it to get drawn into themes for the whole book. Not the case yet. My two words for these chapters are closure and storytelling. All right. Let's use these four words and discuss the end of Rhythm of War.
All right. Paul, you can start with your words. Sure will. Um, restoration, my first word, is mostly talking about Kaladin and where, m more, more specifically, where I think Kaladin will be going with his story once we wrap this story up and look to Stormlight 5. Um, I think Kaladin has kind of been tasked to go find Ishar and fix him. <laughs> or no, Not exactly that, but uh, basically that, yeah. Um, and he's like, ah, that is impossible. Uh, for one. For two, I don't know what you're thinking. Like, it's just a lot of craziness going on there. So there's that. But why I chose Restoration is there will be restoration of some kind. Either Kaladin will have some kind of personal breakthrough, or we will see Counselor Kaladin um, really grow and and have some kind of breakthrough, discover something maybe that could help our heralds, and then maybe um, things would happen with that. But that's the least of my two words. Uh, trickery is the one I'm really excited to talk to you all about, and we will talk about this later. I'm talking about our epilogue with Hoyd, and maybe, you know... Who is deceiving who? I'm curious to unpack this chapter with y'all and, and see what's going on. Elliot? I picked closure as one of my words because I felt like we got some really satisfying closure for our Venli Eshenai storyline. That was supposed to be the the key storyline for this book, if you will, that was the flashbacks that we got where we're both Venli and Esh and I. And I feel like we got something that we sometimes don't get in modern writing is pretty well tied up and wrapped up closure. It really bothers me when, when authors feel like they have to leave bits hanging. I know that's that they say that's good writing, right? That you're, you're not supposed to tie off all the loose ends. Yeah. But I feel like there was enough tied up here. There was enough kind of circling back to the beginning of it all with Venli and her mother. And then that really interesting scene we get with Esh and I at the end as well. It was like, man, I feel like I'm closing this book with a lot of closure on that storyline. Not the rest of our storylines, but that one at right. least. And then my second word was storytelling. And I picked it for our Hoyd epilogue and the little ramble that he goes on about storytelling because I'm going to go on a really random bunny trail about it later. Sounds good. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cut you off before you start, Trevor. Yeah. Uh, we have a name on my cup, and I just have to say that's pretty cool. First off, um, I thought a lot about my cup for today because I was like, this is our first last like normal-ish episode where we're just analyzing chapters for a little while. We'll, we'll go over the prologue, but of our like main, like officially released material, this is the last one for a little while. And I believe whenever this chapter airs, I'm still very early. It'll be closer to like Thanksgiving-ish whenever this airs. But I had a uh, Christmas-themed cup, so... I'm using that. And the words it says are, it's not what's under the tree, but who is gathered around it. Aww. And so, Aww. a very sweet sentimental cup. 
And on our cup, we have a new surgeon, which I'm glad you made it because, you know, I don't, I don't know what the cups will look like going forward. Um, but we have a new surgeon, um, and that is Jesse. So thank you so much, Jesse, for your support. I could not get it to stick to the top of my cup for some reason, so you're down here. That is a new thing, and I'm sorry about that, but um, slid in right into our kind of ending chapter or ending episode here. But we're very thankful for your support. Uh, so thank you so much, Jesse, another surgeon. Thank you, thank Jesse. You. Appreciate it. All right. 115 is split into two distinct tabs. One is for Shalon and Adolin, and the second is for Venli. We wrap up both of these storylines. This is the last chapter for each of these characters in this book. Shalon and Adolin name Shalon's Deadeye Testament, and that is their best interpretation of her pattern, I guess is the way they describe it, I think. And they're still naming pattern just pattern. I don't. I don't, I don't know. What did you guys think of? Testament? I didn't think about that, but that's kind of funny. Pat, pattern's name is a little silly if you think about it. It's almost like calling him person. Yes. Yeah, calling a human human or something. Hey, know? look, shape. What's up with you? <laughs> yeah. What? Yeah. So, what? What did you guys think of the reveal of testament? We we do have, uh. Could Shalon dual wield an alive shard blade and a dead shard blade? Ooh, I, I did think about that. That the name threw me a little bit. Testament. Like, okay, curious to see where this this does go. If this dead eye is now going to be hanging out with with Shalon more, but the shard blade question. That honestly, we we kind of touched on this a little bit before as we were theorizing, and this was just kind of some confirmation that sure enough, Shalon does have two shard blades this makes me want to go back and reread everything yeah from the start day one because we were we were shocked when shallan pulled out a shard blade we realized fairly early on that there were references to shard blades even way sooner than we thought there were and now we realize there's not one but two shard blades in the equation. So now I want to go back and figure out, okay, like which shard blade is which? Is she, what is she summoning when she so, does summon shard blades? What is she talking about when she's referencing previous shard blades? I distinctly remember you guys doing this because I was really impressed with you guys. Way back in the way of Kings, Yasna and Shalon get ambushed in the alley. It, and now I'm second guessing myself. But I think this is correct. They get ambushed in the alley and their lives are in danger. And Shalon thinks to herself, oh, I need to summon my blade, but it takes 10 seconds. But it doesn't take 10 seconds for me, does it? And then you guys are like, she has a shard blade? And, and at that point, the rules were 10 heartbeats, shard yeah. blade. Like, Dalinar and Adolin talk about the whole, like, they explain all the rules to you. And so, at the time, you guys were like, Shalon has a shard blade. This is the way of kings. They, she does not meet even meet pattern until words of radiance, right? Yeah, uh, it it is it is kind of crazy. I thought the way that went down, I could be wrong. I don't remember, but I thought it was whenever she was 
like soul cat whatever she like soul casted for the first time or in that scene where she's like trying to steal the soul caster the fab what was it called the thing she's trying to steal soul caster yeah okay okay it was the soul caster I think she just started counting. Like I'm pretty sure all we see is she starts to count. Like like we see people count their heartbeats. Okay. Um and I think that's all it is, but we like I instantly equated that with she's got a summon a shard blade and I started to freak out, you know. But I don't think she ever says she has a shard blade or I need to summon my blade or anything like that. My the if she did say that that we would have definitively. My recall of it. the way of kings is nearly flawless if i might might say myself uh-huh. she <laughs> she is her life is in danger and she thinks to herself i need to summon my shard blade and, and i'm i'm now second guessing myself if it's in the alley or if it's another time um yeah but i'm fairly certain certain it's in the alley she thinks to herself my life's in danger i need some of my shard blades 10 heartbeats but it doesn't take it i don't need 10 heartbeats for mine and that's all and that's all we get. Mm. Yeah, all the all those little bits and pieces. I really want to go back now and, and start to try and decipher those of when when did we actually get the information that we had no idea we were getting the information that you wouldn't even know you were getting information and if you hadn't read all the way to the end of Rhythm of War, that kind of stuff. Yeah. I'm really excited for going back and rereading for that sort of thing. Yeah. Second part of this scene, they pull out their cube, their magic cube. They contact Marais and say, or Shalon says, man, that was really tough, but I did, I did kill her. And Marais says, her? What? <laughs> You're supposed to kill him? You're supposed to kill Kalak? And Shalon says, uh, no, I, we decided not to. And Venli, or Venli, oh my goodness. Uh, Vale? Vale, thank you. Vale is gone. She's part of me now. And we are no longer part of the Ghostbloods. Politely excuse yourself from my life. Thanks for the magic cube. And there's a couple words Marais has before the end of the conversation. What do you guys think of this? I liked it. Quite a bit. Shalon has absorbed Vale back into herself. And I thought this was a cool depiction of what she's she's capable of. She she can be the Vale sort of character who can stand up to a Marais and say, Nobody, I'm not doing your your bidding anymore. I'm I'm out. Oh, and thanks for this uh spread communication device, by the way. Sort of thing. I do wonder. I do think this is not going to be the last we've seen of Mraes. Okay. Or the Ghost Bloods. Shalon sounds very confident in this scene. Mraes basically says, hey, you have no idea who you're messing with. You're going to regret this. And Shalon shrugs it off. Basically saying, yeah, we can handle you. I, I'm not as confident as Shalon is, or at least as Shalon is sounding. I've experienced enough of the Cosmere that if the Ghostbloods are the intergalactic organization that, that they seem like they might be, 
maybe I should interstellar at least. I don't know if we know they're intergalactic. Interstellar organization. Shalon really could be messing with what she does not understand. In fact, right. I think she is mm -hmm. at this point. He threatens her with that too. Like, you have no idea what you're doing. Uh-huh. Not to say that she shouldn't. I think she should stand up to evil. But I also don't think she understands exactly what she's doing here. I, I've been conflicted on this because I still don't understand Murray's and how big of a player he is in our in our story. I know he knows a lot of things. He's like the I don't know, black market smuggler that has been a, like is so street smart that it's like he could compete with the biggest scholars. But I just I don't I just don't get him. I don't I don't know. <laughs> Paul, would you like me to give you a sense of scale for the ghost bloods? A sense of threat? Yes, honestly, because I've kind of just pushed them to the side. I'm like, uh, they're kind of whatever. You and many others. However, what are we left with from a race? What is his final threat? For Shalon? Are you sure you can handle us? Are you sure you can handle? Is it sleepless? No. Because that was my thought. That was my guess. He I was named, like, he uh, name drops who someone. is this? Okay. He does. My my Thiedekar. first guess was sleepless. Yeah. Thiedekar. Are you sure you can handle? Are you sure you can handle my master? Are you sure you can handle her master? And Shalon guesses Thydekar. And Marie says, ah, so you've heard of him. Do you remember listening to this, Paul? I do. Yeah. Okay. What does Shalon say is his title, according to Hoyd? The Master of Scars? Ah, uh, yes. The Lord of Scars. Does that mean anything to either one of you? Nope. I have a guess, but I don't have anything to back it up. It's just a missing piece that I don't quite get. Okay. That guess is who we actually see a little bit later in these chapters here with with Lesian. Okay. L. L. Okay. Um, kind of a little bit of a question mark there, but. In my head, that could be the that could be the same person. Like I'm thinking of someone who's like really cosmic scale, intimidating, and that seems like Lesian. Like that seems like L because Lesian is extremely afraid of like reverent, reverent, like a reverent, reverent fear of him. Like knowing you don't have power over him, kind of thing. Um, but I don't, I don't know. Okay, so. <clears throat> Getting a little flustered here. Um, I don't know how to properly approach this. For anyone listening who has read all the same things as the podcast, let me put it that way, and does not want heavy hints further, stop listening. I'll give you a timestamp. 2330. Paul. Does the Lord of Scars mean anything to you? And now I'm thinking. <laughs> Clearly it should. 
Come on. Where's the moment? Come on. Wait, hold on. I I think I know who it is. Okay. Problem? Is there a problem there? No. Are you sure? I think it's a Go go ahead. You can you can use names. We are fully disclosed we we have I have made this decision ahead of time. I am minorly mm -hmm. spoiling this for Elliot. Okay. You okay. Can I use was going to say because I'm not guessing a Stormlight character. I'm guessing a Mistborn character. You can use a name. You can use to. a name if you'd like. Who's the Lord um, of Scars? In, in now, in classic fashion, I'm forgetting the name. Give me a second. Hold on. It's like an iconic character, but I'm blinking. I'm drawing a blank. Um, I know exactly one name from Mistborn and you do? others, so I'm not going to be any help. Yeah, I've heard vague mentions of uh, Kelsier from Mistborn. That's the name I'm trying That's to think the of. only name I know. That's that the is the I'm name. Trying to think of. All yeah, right. That's the name I'm trying to think there of. There you go. So, yeah. Um, because he, he, he's physically described as having a lot of scars. That's the only reason I drew that conclusion. Yes, we will be reading Mistborn prologue and Stormlight 5 prologue at the same time uh, for one of our episodes. And we will be talking about this further. But, Paul, the line here is, Hoyd calls him the Lord of Scars, and I am confident I can handle him. And Hoyd told me to tell you that he should mind his own business on his own planet, or I come over there and have to slap him, is the, is the line. Well, that doesn't scare me. That makes me excited. Okay. All right. If you're sure. <laughs> is this the thing I don't get from Miss Borner? What is the... Okay. Mm. We'll, we'll talk about this more, but that is that is a big reveal at the end of Rhythm of War. That is um, a really big reveal. Uh-huh. That all of us, when we read it, were like... Huh? So we'll revisit this later. Yeah, I need time to think on that. Okay. I'm surprised you didn't catch it, but now that I've... That's a good point. I was not in that frame of mind to think about that until mm -hmm. you were like, Paul, <laughs> what do you think? And Come I was on, like, okay, okay, I'm going to go out to think of what only I kind of know. Yeah. You know, between me and Elise, I guess, but... All right. So while you yeah. grew on that... Okay. Um, yes, so Thydekar, um, may be a character that we will meet outside of Stormlight. Might give you more scope for the ghost bloods. Um, Chalon pulls out a book that Kalak gives her, I think. It's a little star map, and it has a bunch of names of a bunch of different planets on it. And she's... And we end the book with her like, I've had my head down for too long. I need to learn. And that's how we end Shalon's storyline. So what do you guys think of that? When I read that, I just had another one of those, oh my goodness, how far we've come moments. Yeah. I, th I think back to the 
rather frivolous Shalon stumbling through the streets of Carbronth, kind of goofing off, but also there to try and, you know, steal something from Yasna on this grand plan, whatever, to here's Shalon standing with a map of the galaxy. Or at least the star systems around her. She she has learned so much and is now so much more aware than she was back then in the beginning that it's pretty incredible. Unless there's some massive twift, twist to come that she knew all this all along and intentionally forgot it all, which I suppose is possible. It is possible. But I'm sticking with my whole sentiment of look how far we've got. Now, there, if it's with the zoom out thing that we've had since Wave Kings, the Wave Kings is, I got to save myself. I got to save these guys. Words of Radiance is, uh-oh, I need to save human race from the Voidbringers. Oathbringers like, oh, I got to save the world from Odium. And then Rhythm of War is like, oh, I got to save not only human race, I got to save the listeners too. I got to save the singers. I got to say, we have to save everybody from Odium. Zoom out even further from that. Now, I think for book five, we got to save the Cosmere from Odium. Yep. Which is what we just zoomed out for with that star chart. So mm-hmm. Exactly. So my my thoughts on this and and that's a really good point by the way Trevor. I, I we've we've grown in scale over our books which I assume we will keep doing. I I don't assume that's going to stop right here. I think that will continue to grow. Um and I think how Shalon is going to play into this of is we know Shalon has a really brilliant mind. So I'm curious to see kind of what she draws from just kind of buckling down and, and like you know, I, I kind of envisioned her to be the like thinky one of the group, the yeah. the one to like really strategize and like maybe work alongside Dalinar to like come up with a a, a game winning strategy. Um, and she's kind of been more of a CIA agent or something, you know, uh, instead. And I'm, I'm I'm curious to see how that goes. More uh, early Shalon chapters is what I'm envisioning, you know. World building. Ugh. <laughs> That's a flashback. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Alright, second half of this chapter here. Um Venley, we get our very last Venley chapter for the book. Venley has left with the list or with the singers who have de- decided to defect from Odium. Leshree's with them, some of the fused are with them and Leshwi finds the singer or finds the listeners that have survived and they make they make their way to the listeners and they do not get a warm reception um Thude I think is his name is that his name uh the leader of the surviving listeners here is fairly hostile with Venley they've got a bunch of bows pointed at her she talks her way in she finds her mother, and a couple reveals that uh, cliffhangers, if you will, for Venley's story here. She finds her mother, heals her. Her second ideal is accepted. I will free those in bondage, which means 
I've been waiting for you to go and heal your mother. The original inspiration to to all of this is you wanted to heal your mother. So once you've completed that, I will I will free those in bondage. I accept your second ideal. And then there's a chasm fiend that shows up that's apparently their pet. I don't know what that means, but what do you guys think of this? I'm now envisioning the listeners becoming like a separate nation of the singers, which they kind of already were, but now they've reestablished themselves and they're going to ride into battle on the backs of chasm chasm fiends. It's coming. Seems very like Avatar esque. Yes, where they're mm-hmm. they're one with nature and using nature to their yeah. Anyway, mm-hmm. um, but I don't know the mechanics of how you tame a chasm fiend. If it has to do with spren or if it's just a natural like they're just puppies and they're misunderstood or like I don't know. <laughs> I like that one. <laughs> or is I mean, it has more... anyone tried a nice calm approach with the chasm fiend yet? I don't know if that's happened, right. You know? Well, are they just wolves and they're misunderstood and you can be a part of the pack like i don't know mm-hmm. or is it more mystical than that of they can build a connection or a bond right. with the chasm fiend and you know communicate mm-hmm. mentally with them or something like that yeah i don't know one just a real jim hart to jim hart moment exactly you know, bonding i mean there's been some talks about Spren and Chasm Fiends, those kind of go in the same clump yep. of like those comets Spren that she had. Anyway, that, that's a whole can of worms. I did really appreciate the scene where she heals her mother, where her mother mm-hmm. takes the first step down the path of being a radiant. Yeah. And I mentioned this already with my, my opening word. I thought this really tied tied a little bow on Benley's story because her mother really represents where Venley has come from and what she left behind. Yeah. She, she chose to neglect her listener culture, all the songs that she was supposed to be the, the keeper of. And she decided to make decisions for her entire people to serve the void spren. And all the decisions she made along the way where she sacrificed people for, in some cases, power. In other cases, I think, misguided notions. I think she was manipulated. But I think she also sometimes was greedy. She wanted to be a mover and shaker in the world. And she sacrificed her people to do that. Her mother was a direct consequence of that. She was collateral damage in all of this. So for Venley to then, I think the journey she's been on is she's realized exactly what she's done. And she's realized why it's important for her to go back to her mother and to go back to the songs. That There's a part of the conversation between her and Thude. Thude is saying, I think it's Thude. He's saying, we can't remember the songs. We've lost them. We don't have someone who knows them. And Venley says, no, it's okay. I'm back. I will bring the songs back. I, she She's returning to what she was originally meant to be. And that was why I kind of keyed into the whole closure of it all. Is I feel like, I feel like we've been on a journey start to finish with Venley. I, I'm not sure 
I'm sure she will still be a character in the story, but I honestly would not be heartbroken if she wasn't. If this is the end, if we don't see the listeners at all, I'm okay with that. That's what I was about to ask. Do you guys think they will be players in in the fifth book? I could see them players in the back half, like, you know, somebody comes out of the listeners and is a a part of the back half, but do you think we'll see them in Stormlight 5? Or is this done for now? I think... I think everything is coming out of the woodwork for five. All of the little bits and pieces, sleepless, ghost bloods, listeners, dawn shards, you name it. It is all coming out in yep. book in book five at some point. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's my guess. I think we're gonna see we've seen we talked about this before, but it's been a while. That the escalation. Yep. Every every book escalates and takes you to a new level you weren't you you didn't realize was there i think book five is going to do that again it's going to be armies of sleepless versus you know whatever you know i'm throwing out random stuff because i don't know brandon sanderson is Mm -hmm. way more creative than i am i don't know what it's going to look like but i know that he's going to pull out something he's going to pull out all the stops so i think listeners are probably going to be a factor in that somehow but even if they aren't I feel like we, like we wrapped a story up here and it felt satisfying. I I agree with you for most of what you said. I don't... I Here's my two big predictions. I think the listeners are done until Stormlight 6. Uh, I think Leshwi will come back. Specifically, Leshwi will be back for Stormlight 5. But she will have left the listeners like it doesn't fit for her and she comes back to fight Odium. Okay. That's, that's what she wants to do as opposed yeah. to like all of the listeners come back i think lush we will come back and i think the ghost bloods are done for the first uh five i think the ghost bloods are our main antagonists for the back half and they will be back later but they are not coming back for book five those are my two predictions i think the ghost bloods prediction is pretty good um question lane is one of the listeners right Relaine is he stayed. included in this group? He stayed. He's in the tower. Okay. Okay. Gotcha. Because I, I was going to say he will definitely be in book five. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Um, okay. So I, d- I didn't know if he was included in that group because he's like technically a listener, right? Or was or whatever. Um, I do think we will see them in book five. I think we'll see our other listeners in book five. But I think briefly in the more like early stages, like a part two where there's less... I mean, book five will probably be a bit more stuffed, but I think there may be some mild, so, some little things with the, the listeners. Um, I I could definitely, I could definitely get on board with, with no more listeners. I, it would make sense on the trajectory that we've, we've gone on here. Ghost bloods. Yeah. I'm not so sure. Okay. I think the, I think the only way we don't see ghost bloods in Stormlight Five, is if the entire book is ten days. Okay. If if all we do is contest of champions, okay, fine. Yeah, no ghost bloods need to play in a part of that. But if if contest of champions happens on page four hundred of Stormlight Five, right? I love how that's early in the book. <laughs> yeah, yes. I know. Oh, that's so the first thinking. part. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So part one. <laughs> if if that happens on page four hundred. And then we all of a sudden explode and now we're traveling from planet to planet and 
all of a sudden the big picture comes into play into the foreground. I'd, I'd be pretty shocked if ghost bloods are not involved at that stage. Like that's, I, I equate them to larger Cosmere conflict now. And so if we enter into larger Cosmere conflict without the ghost bloods, I'd be pretty surprised. Well, and I agree with you, but here's what I think Stormlight 5 happens is I, I do think contest happens on page 400, like end of part two, let's say. Um, mm-hmm. And, oh, Cosmere's in big trouble. There go half of our heroes off into the Cosmere. That's it. And we wait on that until Stormlight 6. And then we resolve Roshar for the rest of the book. Everybody who is still here, we resolve Kaladin, Zeth, Shallan, etc., etc. We resolve on Roshar for the rest of the book. And that's why I don't think Ghostbloods are are here, because they will certainly be back, but I don't think they are resolving Roshar anymore. Okay. The reason uh, I think about this now, the reason I think Ghostbloods will be in book five is Shallan openly declares war on them, which <laughs> yes, is kind of funny. And so I imagine that will be part of her story on here. Um, like like in book five. And also I think that's a way to tie her into the greater Cosmere yeah. thing that's on the horizon, I guess, or, or in mention, um, along with Dalinar. Dalinar is kind of bargaining with that scale of um, problem. And, and I think Shalon is also now doing that, whether or not she knows it. Um, and so I think that may be a way that some of our characters get in there. F- furthering that, I think if Zeth goes on his little journey to... Um, Shinovar. Shinovar, that he might, like, Shinovar is still a big question mark to us, that maybe he finds some way and ends up there with them, too. I'm just thinking of ways that people are going to get to that scale, because I think we will have more than only Dalinar at that scale, if that happens. That is an if, still, but, yeah, those are my two cents on the Ghost Bloods in Book 5. Anything else for 115? Venley or Shalon Adolin storyline? Did, did we point out that Venley does say her second ideal here? Yes. And it's accepted? Yes. Okay. It's accepted by a female voice. Let me say that again. That mm-hmm. not the Stormfather. Also, we didn't talk about it last episode, but one of the first reveals we get from last episode is it appears that Dalinar is accepting Kaladin's ideals. I'd have to go back and read, but I don't think that was that certainly wasn't the case before Dalinar was a bondsmith, was it? Somebody else was accepting. Or maybe the Stormfather was accepting? I don't remember. Um, but it appears that Dalinar accepted Kaladin's fourth ideal. Which is strange. Anyway. Um, but yeah, a, I took it as, a female I took voice it as, accepted Ventley's. Really quick back on the Dalinar thing and tying into the Ventley in this scenario, I didn't take it as too weird because I've kind of been assuming that like the storm father as the closest we've got to odium or not. Odium, wow. <laughs> honor. Honor. Uh-huh. Sorry. The storm father as the closest thing we have to honor has been accepting Kaladin's oaths up to this point. And right. When Dalinar does that, 
he and the Stormfather are doing the mind meld thing where they're both the Storm and they're helping Kaladin. So I almost saw it as Dalinar accepted Kaladin's oath as the Stormfather. Sort of. Okay. And that goes back to the whole exact dynamics of what is happening with right. the vision and you know all that fun stuff which we'll get into a little bit more now in this episode and so i take that into this chapter here with venley to then assume that it's cultivation okay is this this oath that she has this combination of cultivation and honor whatever it is in this moment, she's appealing to cultivation and cultivation accepts. Okay. Okay. 116. Dalinar, there's a Lesian point of view, part of the, and by the way, I want to skip over that. Um, Dalinar and Kaladin have a little debrief. Uh, Dalinar tells him contest champions, 10 days. And Kaladin goes, uh, I'm not ready. And Dalinar says, that's okay. You're not my you're not my champion. I appreciate you assuming that you are. A little vain of you, but that's fine. Um You're not my champion. I will do it myself. And uh then he asks him to go to Shinovar to help him heal Ishar. I need Surgeon Kaladin now is what he is what he asked of him. What do you guys think of this? I want to step back a second. Before he gets to the mission that Dalinar gives him, they have that conversation about what Kaladin's future is. And and they talk about the Kaladin, Kaladin says, I need to take time away from this battle. And they, they talk about Dalinar relieving him of duty that scene we we talked about chapter 10 yeah early on early early on in this book and Calvin basically says no you were on the right path i do need help i am not in the right place to do this and i thought downer's response was fantastic downer said you've grown soldier Few men have the wisdom to realize when they need help. Fewer still have the strength to go get it. Well done. Very well done. I love bringing attention to that concept of one, admitting that you need help. Two, going out and actually seeking it. Like Those are hard things to do. That, 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 that's a convicting section for me I'm, I'm a very competitive person and to ever have to admit that i need help that's really really hard but i think it is 100 percent a really important thing for any, anyone we all need to be able to realize when we're broken or past our limits and it's okay to reach out to someone and say i can't do this i need help and so to watch Kaladin do that is really inspiring for me and reminds me that, oh, yeah, maybe I should do that more instead of just saying, nope, I, I can get through this. Sometimes reaching out for help is the right thing to do. Absolutely. I agree. It's cool stuff. 
Dalinar asks him, I need, I need mental health doctor, counselor, Kaladin yeah. to help me with Ishar. And what does Kaladin say? His response is fantastic. You want me to go counsel an insane herald back to his right mind in 10 days? In 10 days. Yes. Mm-hmm. You crazy. Mm-hmm. I agree. Yes. I, I think it's so funny. Kaladin's like, First of all, he's a herald, so he knows I'm way out of my depth here. Second of all, he's insane. I don't I don't deal with insane people. I just deal with battleshock depressed people. Third, <laughs> yeah. um, ten days. Excuse me. <laughs> like, I I've been struggling with this for years, and I'm not even halfway where I need to be. And you're asking me to help someone. It, it, I think it's really funny. How is Kaladin going to do this? I have no clue. And I think Dalinar missed something that I thought was obvious in what Ishar said. So in that scene, I don't think we talked about this. Ishar is crazy, but he has a moment of clarity. There's a brief moment in that exchange where Ishar kind of snaps out of it. And he talks specifically to Dalinar and says, I can fix this. I know the answer. I can rebuild the Oath Pact. You just have to get me sane to do it. And then he also says something along the lines of, I feel more sane or I see more clearly when Radiants swear their oaths. And then specifically he mentions Bondsmiths. So I think the implication of that was that moment of lucidity was the, the moment Navani yep. swore as a bondsmith. I thought that was pretty obvious from what Ishard said. So it seems to me what he's trying to say is we need another bondsmith. We need someone else to bondsmithize themselves so that I can have a moment to do this. Kalan is not a bondsmith. He's a windrunner. Yep. Zeth is not a bondsmith. He's a... Skybreaker. Neither of them can swear as Bondsmith. I feel like it was obvious that we need to find another Bondsmith, and yet Dalinar doesn't seem to be considering this at all. He's just saying, hey, Kaladin, hey, Zeth, go fix this. Yeah, good luck. I have no idea how. I feel like he's going in the wrong direction. I'm... This is this is probably my biggest question going into book five is that journey, that that story of Kaladin and Zeth, which, by the way, very excited. I assume <laughs> they will be traveling together that, and I cannot wait. I was going to say those. that ticks two of your huge boxes from like Way of Kings. You wanted you wanted Zeth, more Zeth point of view and you wanted Shinovar. That is right up your alley yeah and and not just that he is going on his own and hopefully we will actually see it but he's going with kaladin too which current kaladin is like definitely in my top three favorite characters like hands down no question and so i am beside myself i'm so excited and i can't wait for that but the way that that actually goes down could be anything in my mind. I, I I couldn't really give a like what I think will really happen 
Um, I think we will learn some extremely groundbreaking information with them going to Shinovar and, and the stuff that they learn. But I, I don't, I can't tell you. I, maybe they don't, you know? I, I don't actually know. Is there any... I keep thinking that there's some huge secret still in Shinovar that we don't even know anything about. Surely there is. But is there any main character to apply for the Bondsmith position that we have, besides Adolin? Yeah, my thought was Adolin. It doesn't seem right, but he is, like, by far most prominent character that is not bonded. Right, but no way it's Um, Adolin, right? So it's got to be somebody else. Rock? Rock. Yeah, I was just thinking Rock. If Um, he's not dead. I don't think he's dead. I think he's, like, imprisoned or something. Rock's an interesting one because he's got a special cultivation relationship and the Night Watcher is the spren that we need to bond. Is that the truth, though? I've been trying to figure that out. So we've, we were always told that there were three bondsmiths. Hmm. We jumped to the conclusion that those three bondsmiths aligned with our three shards on Roshar. Which is incorrect. Which I think we've proven is not the case right we have an honor bondsmith and we have a honor slash cultivation bondsmith right with navani and the sibling mm-hmm. so but dalinar and navani confirm it in this chapter they talk dalinar muses to himself oh yeah he's like well the sibling bondsmith and the Stormfather Bondsmith, them having a relationship is weird, but in the past it was always the Night Watcher Bondsmith and the Stormfather Bondsmith that had a relationship. I forgot about that. I forgot so, about that. Okay. So we do know at least it's a cultivation bondsmith. We gotta get somebody in there to connect with the Night Watcher. Yeah. And the I have Go ahead. I, I have two names to throw out. And one will make will uh, okay. Um have we seen Sigzel in like this book? Is he still alive? Like I, I don't know where he is. He it was in last he episode. Fought. Yeah. Yeah. He had a duel okay. with uh what's Briefly. his toes? With Ashar. Um he is the he's the head windrunner like general. With Kaladin stepped down, Sigzel took his spot. Okay. Sigzel is awesome, by the way. Yes, he's still one I of love my favorites, him. but like but like I haven't seen him in so long. That I'm like, is he even cool anymore? Like, I, I don't even know what he's up to. That's me with Brock. I, I miss Rock so much. I love him. Uh-huh. I that's true. Yeah. I, I I thought, as far as I know, he hasn't bonded to Sprint, right? Wasn't he just a squire, or has he bonded? S- Sixel has bonded. He, he is a okay. he is a tier three wind runner, if you will. Gotcha. Never never mind on that then. And my other prediction to make everyone mad is, couldn't it be Moash? Isn't that technically possible with yeah. a lot of development <laughs> with like a full Rehab. book of development? Yeah, yeah, it's technically possible. Okay, second second possibility. What if it's Lyft? That's where my head was going. And she's already there but doesn't know it. She was I... to- she was told she's an edge dancer but like isn't really. She's a bondsmith. I had thought about Lyft a little bit. That would make some sense of, like, why 
why like I I mentioned in our last episode like I don't know, fully know what Lyft's purpose is in our story right now. Um, that could be a thing. I because I don't know. I I would need to see more. I'm saying no. Like in my head, like logically, no. Like it doesn't make sense. The, but there could be something like that. Like the only Shalon evidence... has two sprint bonded, so yeah, and. Here's our meta answer for you. Brandon Sanderson has been asked, can he bond to Spren? Can he be part of two Knights Radiant at the same time? And he has said, Raffo. Um, so that might be a Stormlight 5 reveal, honestly. Um, but Lyft, the the only evidence I have for Lyft is she's weird. Like, we, that is the defining thing of Lyft is Wendell says she's weird. Everybody thinks she's weird. She eats life flight she doesn't care about stormlight um and most edge dancers do care so i don't know because when we meet her back in edge dancer windle's like why can you touch me that's not supposed to be a thing like the well, night watcher did something weird to you so she's been to the night watcher so that's that's a point in her favor for being bonding the night watcher mm-hmm. uh, anyway so th- th- there's a couple things there that's that's a decent that's a decent theory that I could I could honestly see. I think I think Lyft does go on my suspect list. It would have to be something I think funky like dual bonded two orders or some sort of dramatic I have to break my edge dancer bond to become a bondsmith to save the day. Wendell sacrifices himself or something. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I can see that. The- the other name I think is probably top of my suspect list might be Rissen. Okay. She's not supposed to be allowed to bond. That's her contract with the sleep list, but okay. That's well, I true. About that. But I as about far that. as like characters who aren't already Radiants, she's right there along with Adolin and not many others. David? Yeah. boring David's awesome he's he's fine he's cool I just want to see him a lot more before he becomes our final bondsmith to like seal Odium away you know like yeah absolutely or maybe L isn't L like already beyond heralds and all things like that from my understanding we'll probably I don't know what L is but L is like... L is a uh fused. But he has lost his okay. title, which is what you remember the epigraph where it's like, who is L? He's obviously not a singer because you didn't use a title. Right. He's a singer, but he lost his title, and in in that short little part we get in what, 116? Um, the pursuer says, They gave your title to a human. Did you guys catch that? I did, and my only thought was that he must be referencing Moash. I assume that the he who quiets, I assume, will yeah. be his title because that's the title they gave mm. to Moash when he became Vire. Um, but I'm about to blow somebody's mind on this podcast. I'll wait to um for you to figure out who. Uh, let me read to you a quote real quick on on L. 
I hate and love these moments at the same time where Trevor goes and reads something that we should have obviously noticed and we didn't. I get, I get excited for these. The fused had twisting horns on his head, but they reflected the light wrong. He always ripped off his natural carabase, carapace at each rebirth and replaced them with metal inclusions. They were incorporated into his body with void light healing and his own special talents. L, the one with no title. I did catch this. Did you? I did. Yeah, I, I, I forgot to bring this up, but. Go ahead. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I don't know what I should say. Okay, yeah. so. But I'll say it for you, just so you don't have to. Mm -hmm. um, part of a magic system in Mistborn is piercing yourself with metal. Okay. Yeah, it involves metal and and stuff like that. We see a notable notable characters that have powers, which you see right out of the gate, and, and they're like stuck with metal. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad you caught that. I did not. It wasn't. Uh, I until... did. I did. I did. I I rewind it like right quick after hearing that, and I was like, "Oh wow, okay, that explains the differentiation in power." It's like it's basically like we've seen Vasher has can use breaths. We we've seen right. um like like we've we've seen Hoyd is like a bonded radiant, but can use like has breaths. Oh boy, or maybe doesn't anymore. Uh, right, but. Um, but has breaths, and so I think this is just kind of a he's somewhat part of another magic system, so he has some added bonuses. Like it's like having an aviary. It's it's like right. you you're here, um, but you have you have some extra stuff. You know, um, was how I was taking that. I'm really glad you caught it. I did not until this read. I read Rhythm of War, and I I completely missed it. So. All right, um, Lesion dies. He's brought over from Bray's by Teravangian? Todium, I guess. And he's like, I thought I was supposed Just to be... Just so an... L could kill him. Yes, I thought I was supposed <laughs> to be in an Everstorm. And L's like, yeah, we did it the old-fashioned way. We'll come back to that in a second. We did it the old-fashioned way because I was too impatient. I wanted to see if this would work. And then he stabs him with anti-void light and kills him. So rest in peace, the pursuer. He is dead. What is the old-fashioned way? How can we resurrect Fuse without an Everstorm? Do you think it has anything to do with what Ishar was messing with? With like pulling Spren into the physical realm? Um, maybe he was trying to figure out how they did it or things like that and, and maybe maybe by doing that there's a hypothetically a way you could do that for good to bring radiance back it's weird I, I don't i'm not gonna go too much further with that but that was my thought yeah. maybe it has something to do with like pulling things from the cognitive realm to the physical realm that's a good thought i hadn't thought about that i i had assumed something way simpler that this was We've we've seen Void Spren get transported across. Yeah. So I was assuming it's something simpler like that of apparently the old Odium 
had outlawed some sort of method like that where they it wasn't that weird thing where they like pop out in the middle of the ocean so you have to you have to be there at the right time to catch them or right. whatever that however that worked i assumed it was some sort of method of like that that teravangian is apparently okay with that raids was not Oh my you goodness. look mildly broken. Yes. Does Odium have a perpendicularity? Would I mean, make I would sense. Plausibly, right? Okay. The Wander Sail. They sail, what, like halfway around Roshar? Yeah. To find a little group of islands and a huge, like, sinkhole whirlpool thing? Am I crazy? Is that is that true? I don't I don't remember it well enough. I'd have to go reread. Oh, I don't remember it well enough. There's this huge like vortex pool that they like sail around and catch speed out of Am I making this entire thing up? Uh <laughs> um, Wondershaw was a little bit of a trip. So yeah, I'd have to go, a little, I'd have little to while go ago. Um but there's this group of island people and this is the whole you know, whatever. Yeah. And there's this big whirlpool and they, they call themselves the people of the the edge or whatever and it's like the edge of the world or whatever yeah um mm-hmm. yeah is that odium's perpendicular anyway that was just a sorry could be that'd be that'd be neato or maybe it's the perpendicularity of the fourth shard Ooh. whimsy is who i'm guessing okay this is such a good segue. Thank you, Paul. Okay. Theory time. I've been waiting so long. Okay. Okay. Wow. Okay. 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 So we we jump back to Kaladin. We started the we started the <laughs> chapter with Kaladin. We jump back to or we end the first part. I'm sorry. We end the first part of this chapter. Dalinar giving Kaladin what? Advice. The flute. A flute. The, the flute. Quit's flute. flute. He's like, hey, uh, Lyft had this. I think it's yours. Or Dabit thought it was yours or whatever. Mm-hmm. And Kaladin says, whoa, it is. Yeah. And Dalinar says, oh, man. Dalinar says, yeah, there's some merchant dude in the in the market that sells stuff he's found from the Shattered Plains. Like, he, after everybody left, he stayed behind, picked up a bunch of random stuff, brought it to the tower. He sells them. And Kaladin says, uh, do you know which merchant? Jump to this part. What does he find? Goes down to the market, goes to the stall. What does he find? He ultimately finds the little horse. Yes. Which is is from the scene that Dalinar gave him that Tien gave to Kaladin in the vision thing. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. This is my theory. I came up with this. Track with me here, okay? Kaladin finds a bunch of stuff that he left in the barracks um, in Words of Radiance when the Everstorm came. He finds Rock's Razor. He finds some other Bridge Force stuff. He finds Tien's horse, which he thinks to himself, I left this in Alith car. What the heck? Why is this with this other stuff? Okay. The vision. Tien gives him the horse and says, try not try to keep track of it this time, Cal. Drops out of the vision, the horse 
disappears. Comes back with in a couple chap like eight chapters later. What is the title of the chapter? I I don't know. Okay, I will. The title of I will one. fill it in for you. The title of the chapter <clears throat> is Mercy. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now, here's some new information for you that you don't know. Well, let me back up. Um, in epigraphs of this book, we got name dropped four new shards. Do you remember what they were? Oh, gosh. That was the um, whimsy that you just mentioned, right? Paul? Whimsy, valor. I'm forgetting the fourth one. Mercy and something else. I don't remember the fourth mm-hmm. one. Not important. Um, okay. Brandon Sanderson has said that all but one, all but one shard have a home planet that they stick to. There's one shard that his, I think his quote is wanders about the Cosmere. Okay. Here's my theory. Tien's death. Okay. Tien is implausible to imagine that if there was a shard that wanders about the Cosmere, it could be Mercy attending deaths of innocent children or innocent people to ease their passing. Plausible. Sure. Okay? Does yeah. not have a home planet, just go, wanders about. Attends Tien's death. Tien dies with a smile on his face. Okay? He, the, it is implied that there is no pain for Tien as he dies. He is, he's resolved. Tien then takes the vessel Mercy. Stick with me here. At, at the time of his death, like Teravangian, he takes the vessel Mercy and continue continues Mercy's deeds about the Cosmere. Does not necessarily stay on Roshar, but revisits Roshar at the time of Kaladin's death returns for Kaladin, talks to him person to person. He's fully grown in his in his vision. This is current day Tien talking in this mm-hmm. vision. Dalinar connects him, capital C connects him to current day Tien, who is still alive as the vessel of mercy. Gives him the horse in the vision. Tien gives him the horse in the vision, says try to keep track of it this time. The title of 116 is titled Mercy. He finds the horse in the market, which Tien has somehow orchestrated it that it would find its way there. He says, try to keep track of it this time, Cal. What do you think? I really like it. I really like the idea that... Okay. What I like about it is the idea that if we do have a really sad, dramatic, like, 
end of book or mid story, you know, end of our story so far, Kaladin dying and being visited by the shard Mercy, and that shard is Tien. Yes, that is so emotional. Like I, that would have me sobbing, you know. However, I don't. I'm. I still just think Tien is dead. Oh, <laughs> that that's, sounds sad. No, that's but fine. I, th- I, I think I kind of think the buck stops there. But I, in my head, I could see the shard of mercy or whoever the vessel is still doing this. You know, um, I really I didn't think about that obviously, in how the chapter is titled that, and with the items here, that is such a epic Brandon Sanderson nod, like to that that I could I could totally believe it. I could entirely believe that. And then, let me add to this. When when you're invest, this is a general rule. It's not always true, but when mm-hmm. you're invested, when you die, you get to live as a cognitive shadow. We'll get into this more with one seventeen as at Eshenai's death. But if you're invested when you die, you get to live as a cognitive shadow at least for a time. Brandon Sanderson has confirmed that Tien was on his way to bonding a cryptic and becoming a light weaver at the time of his death. And the lie that he told himself to attract this cryptic is I am un- I am not loved. Nobody wants to hang around me is the lie that Tien told himself. This is these are all words of Brandon that I'm throwing at you guys. So, it is plausible that Tien was invested at the time of his death, widening the window of a of shard uh, of finding a vessel. That's my theory. That I'm a- Tien is mercy. I'm on board. I think I think it all checks out. I I follow the the logic for sure. I definitely think. I, I was flipping over the chapter real quick to try and see the the title the title of the chapter caught me mm-hmm. off guard a little bit, and I think it might be onto something with you know dual meanings there or or trying to sneak something in there with the title of the chapter being mercy because the obvious reference for mercy there is the the conversation that Dalinar has with the Stormfather. Yep. But it's pretty it's pretty minor. It's kind of at the end of it where the Stormfather's like, yeah, I showed mercy once. Dalinar's like, oh really? You did? <laughs> and then later we get the scene with Esh and I, which I took to be that's what he's referencing is that moment where he was, you know, kind of took pity on Esh and I as she she's dying. But that would totally be a Brandon thing to do would be, oh yeah, I told you in the title of the chapter exactly what was going on here, and you missed it. So, yeah, I like it. I like it a lot. I'm starting to think of my, uh, you know, a question I could ask Brandon, and I don't know, he, he may have been asked this, but I, I, my question is now is, have we actually met Mercy? Like, have we met this shard on any story or place so far um because it sounds like assu- assuming this isn't like let's assume this isn't about the shard mercy at all then like have we ever come across it other than the name drop in right. a, an epigraph like in I, anything calls me 
I could see this going unreferenced until like Stormlight 10. Yeah. And in Stormlight 10, we have, we start to see scenes with like 16 shards in the room together. Mm -hmm. Or like 15 shards are in the room and, oh, we're missing one. Where's Mercy? Mercy walks into the room and it's Tien. Yep. Like, that's like Stormlight 10 stuff. I could see this being, you know, on the download the whole entire time. We never see Mercy again until we get to like the part where we're trying to remake Adenauseum or whatever we're doing in, you know, the climax mm-hmm. of, of the second half. Huh. You might have to wait a long time to get your answer. Yeah. Once my grandchildren are, I'll be reading it with them, <laughs> you know? <laughs> oh man. I, this whole theory came about as I was just typing up, we were, we were reading Dawn Shard as a podcast and it came about and I was just like, wait a minute. Why does he find the horse after like, it's so random. It's so random. It and, is. And Kaladin thinks to himself, this is really random. Why the heck is this here? It has to be divine influence. It has to be. I'm really excited that you that you even have a theory here because I was actually bothered a little bit by the fact that this was so random. Yeah. Like, why is the horse so significant when we just met the horse? Like, I'm trying to, I almost felt like, did I miss something? Was there a horse back in Way of Kings that I was supposed to remember that I'm not? I don't think there was, right? This is the first time we've seen the horse. No, the the horse. Am I wrong? The horse is in the way. The horse is in Wave Kings. It is back there. Yes. Okay. Way back before they both get drafted, he crafts him a horse, and and said, and he's supposed to be the the cobbler, cobbler, no, uh, woodworker's apprentice is what Tian's training to be. And he's like, look, Cal, I made a, I made a horse. I made a horse, and he gives it to him. I think the day they're drafted, and he and he holds on to it, and then mm-hmm. he loses it sometime between then and Tian or then and Tian's death or Tian's death and shattered planes. I don't know. He loses it. Okay. There. Well, I didn't remember it at all. So I'm, I'm glad that it's come back up and you've, you've put some significance on it for us to, to watch as we go forward. So I'm excited. I'm here. I'm sorry. I had a, I've been waiting so long to share that with you. I've so long. How does it feel to get that off your chest? Crazy. I might go. I've kind of suppressed that theory, not thought about it too much until I could vocalize it on the podcast. And now I might go do more research to see if it is. Um, anyway. That is the most uh, energetic I think I've ever seen you on this podcast, Trevor. Was once you started going, you're like, okay, all right, <laughs> theory. Okay, hear me out. Guys, okay, just bear with me. <laughs> I had to keep it all straight in my head. I didn't do an outline for it. (laughs) Anything else for 116 before we move to the last chapter of the book? Just one thing on Navani. I want to talk way more about Navani in our full book retrospective. Yep. Definitely going to spend more time there. But briefly, because there's a scene here where Dalinar and Navani are kind of standing on top of the tower just saying, hey, Bondsmith. What's up, Bondsmith? And having that weird, you know, 
were the power couple conversation. <laughs> yep. But but there's a cool line in there where Dalinar basically says, "Hey, I underestimated you." And I think it, it made me think. I really, really like Navani's storyline in this book and how everyone does underestimate her. And she goes on such a non-traditional hero's journey. It's not slay the dragon, fight the bad guys, be strong and do it. it it's such a, I don't know. I'm going to have to do some analysis so I can, I can verbalize what I'm thinking in our retrospective a little better, but She's her story is so different, but yet so epic at the same time. What she was able to achieve, how she was able to do it, was really, really cool. And Dalinar kind of recognizes that a bit here in this scene, which was I enjoyed it. One thing I want to throw out there, actually, from from a slightly different perspective, um, just briefly. Um, my fiance right now has finished Oathbringer and with that, which was very polar different from me, where I was when I had finished Oathbringer, she she's listed. Her, I asked her what her like five favorite characters were right now, and her fifth, like the last one that made the list, was Navani, and she pointed out some good like perspective of stuff that you know, I, I'm I'm a sucker for the action and the like really like deep stuff, and I've overlooked Navani or just not had her at my top favorites. I never disliked her, but um. My fiance Alex was really talking about how everyone is doing all these huge tasks and, and like the scale has really gone up in Oathbreaker. And Navani is like the one who's like really holding down the fort, but like really doing it well. And it, it's kind of, it may go unappreciated, uh, but she's like really got her wits about her and is kind of like holding things together. Um, but I thought it was cool to hear her perspective uh, into why Navani is really dope. Um, with that was at the end of Oathbringer. She hasn't uh, seen the Navani stuff from uh, where we are right now yet. Um, but I, I'm excited for her to see that because it's already one of her favorites. So, um, but but Navani is pretty cool, and I'm excited to go over that more. Like whenever we do, like wrap up the book as a whole. Yeah. So. The last chapter of the book, chapter 117, is dedicated to an Eshenai flashback chapter. What did you guys think of this? That's an odd choice. It's an odd choice to dedicate to a flashback chapter. What do you guys think? I was I... a little bit jarred. Like overall, I was surprised to end it on a flashback chapter. Um, and honestly it made me feel like wait is this venley's book that was kind of my question that that's more of like a lot of that i will talk about in our in our book as a whole discussion but i, I was a little bit surprised with the final chapter i kind of viewed the epilogue more as our like final final chapter you know my first reaction was definitely a what you're going to close it on that note that was weird but on my second read through when i was taking notes i actually really appreciated it because i thought it brought some closure again to eshenai's storyline 
that I felt was left really jarringly open. Yeah. E- even from just a mechanics standpoint, I I was bothered. I think more than just me was with the whole Esh and I fell off a cliff while full of stormlight and in shard plate and oh surprise she's dead. Like that just felt really not real. Yeah. It was like they like can't be right. They can't be right. We've seen people do way more destructive things without shard plate and survive. And you're going to tell me that the storm form Esh and I falls off a cliff in shard plate and she's dead. Not buying it. So to get a scene that actually spells out what happened really helped me was, okay, she didn't die from the fall. She then had this epic struggle with the storm waters within the chasm. It filled in kind of a, okay, that makes sense now gap for me but then also it kind of closed a bit of an emotional gap as well because i felt like i was way more invested in eshenai's storyline than i was about venley right and then we get into this one it's like oh surprise venley's the one we're going to focus on so to get a little bit of time to revisit eshenai and kind of close out her story with this really sentimental moment where she gets you know explorer venley gets to see the entirety of Roshar on the back of the storm. Yeah. I appreciate it. I thought it was pretty cool actually on my second read. I agree. I really do enjoy the sentiment in this scene between the storm father and Eshenai. It's a really odd pairing, but the, the dynamic of watching you refuse to die and struggle for your life, accepting that as your words of life before death that's a really cool concept of accepting your first ideal and letting you be a cognitive shadow for at least, you know, a couple hours and ride the storm with me and see the entirety of Roshar as I sweep across it, which is what you've always dreamed of doing was exploring the world. Um, and he knows that about her. And then to fulfill that wish, I think that's really cool, actually. All right, epilogue time. Oh boy. Oh boy. Okay, so did you guys do you guys understand what happened in the epilogue? Do I have to explain yes. any mechanics? I I think I'm pretty confident that I understood it. There may be something that I don't understand that's pointed out, but I'm like ninety five percent sure I know what happened. I'm I'm going to rabbit trail on something random in a minute, but but I want I do want to make sure I understand the mechanics of what happened here. So Wit is walking along, intentionally trying to meet with Odium. Yes. Odium shows up. It seems like Wit's main motive here is just to taunt, which okay, it's Wit, not surprised. He's Maybe there's an He's now in the contract, so he's allowed to show himself. So he's going to purposely right. do it. Right. Right. Maybe he's fishing for information. Maybe he's just stretching his legs and feels like he's been, I don't know, confined. And now he can openly flaunt. Ha ha, I'm here. Odium shows up. 
they have a conversation, they banter back and forth a little bit, and then Odium, which we know as Teravangian, asks a question. Basically, kind of asking for information. Who would you and, choose as my champion if you were me? Yeah. And Wit's like, well, I would choose... Wait a second. That's not something Ray's would say. And he tries, in the moment there, to play it off. He, he like, hesitates for a second, and then he tries to kind of step back into character and keep it going. But Odium notices pounces on him and realizes that wit has been using breaths to store memories exterior to himself. Yep. He then does something which is not spelled out specifically to either destroy or take those memories away. And we basically, we basically see a groundhog day, version of this scene where it starts over yep wits like oh crap and then dot 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 odium shows up again and we walk through the exact same conversation at least the first half of it in the same way wit clearly does not remember what happened before although he knows something's off yep Mm -hmm. and then we get to the end of it and the takeaway is like Okay, they had their banter, they leave, and Wit's like, all right, that went swimmingly. Off we go. There's a couple, I guess, one reference on the ending clarification on is the whole the breaths and memories things. Huh? We we already knew this was possible, right? That mm-hmm. you could do this with breaths. Yes. I mean, ish. Yeah. Ish. We okay, all we so, also um just real quick. Kalak in his epigraphs, when he's yes. he's writing his epigraphs, he's like, Midias told me something about storing memories in investiture. And that's part of the epigraph. Midias is another is what the heralds call Hoid. Oh. Midias, oh I didn't know that. Midias is another name for Hoid. He's what the heralds another... call Hoid. He gets okay. another name too. He yes, Odium calls him. Shards call him Saphandrius, which actually, Paul, is spelled with a C. I don't know if you oh, would have. I did not know that. Yes, yeah, C E P H is how you spell Saphandrius. Saphandrius, which I think is an awesome name, by the way. And yes. I'm, I'm honestly assuming I don't know, but I'm assuming that's like his real name, his like original name, because um, I'm assuming that the shards have probably known him the longest. You'd be wrong, but. Okay. Um, I don't know what it is, but somebody has asked that and Brandon Sanderson said, nope, you still don't know it. So, okay. yes, that well, has, that's my favorite one so far. That has been a, a running joke with Brandon Sanderson is he just comes up with crazy names to name Hoyt in all of his books <laughs> and people. Yeah. Anyway. Um, mm-hmm. so Midias is a name for Hoyt. You've seen that a couple times. Um, Shalosh, when she's trying to escape Thalen city at the end of Oathbringer and Yasta recognizes Shalash and takes them prisoner, takes Talon and Shalash prisoner. You're getting this point of view from Shalash, and she's like, Why is Midias giving out a bunch of pictures of us? Um, mm-hmm. that's a name drop. Kalak mentions Midias, like Midias mentioned something about storing memories in investiture. That's what you're seeing here. He he has stored memories in breaths. You'll also see this again in Mistborn. 
Um, uh, so yeah. Anyway, I I remember the part about the heralds, those those references from Collect because that seemed like an important part of not going insane. Right. If you're going to be alive that long, yep. The, the the conversation was you you have to do that, or you go insane. Yep. And like part of the reason why the heralds, part of the reason why they do that is they they struggle to do that. So so wit is protecting himself in a sense because he's so old by storing his memories external to himself. Correct. And breaths is a magic system we're familiar with that he's using to do that. Correct. Yeah. I want to, I want to point out a couple of things, and then I also want to throw out kind of a ridiculous theory. Um. So first off, I just want to point off my favorite thing about this story, like the actual narrative here. I love how Brandon Sanderson shows this. Of we see this first thing, and I, I, I thought this whole chapter was just beautifully written. It reminded me a lot of the dog and the dragon chapter of yeah. just like. Like di- dialogue, I guess, and and him and uh, I forget the friend's name. Design, design, um, and just the banter between them is always fun. But he's talking about illusion and stuff like that, and trickery. This is part of my word was trickery for this episode. Um, and he meets with Odium, and right, like we Todium, if you will, Todium, um, asks about. Who Teravangi would or who Wit would choose as his champion, and Wit's like that's weird. Rays wouldn't care at all, and so Odium leaves, and he's like, "That went exactly how I supposed it would, except for that like thing where he asked or he cared or whatever." And then there's the whole fright. He it says Wit felt true terror. Yes, as as Odium like saw the 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 memories and the breaths, and allegedly. It took them, and then we get the whole rinse and repeat, and then at the end of that, he says that Wit was happy or whatever because that went exactly how he had planned it, and so that's how we, the reader, like know that his memory or some of his sense was taken. Yes, because we know and he's not like keying into that. It's a, uh, which it's is a, really cool. The really important question that we're left with, though, is did Teravangian corrupt them? destroy them or steal them did he does he now have knowledge that wit had and no longer does because that would be really scary if that's the case and i'm and i'm thinking that is the case that he just absorbed investiture that had memories in it and wit no longer has it and think and has no knowledge that he has lost it and odium now has it and the, the question immediately becomes, how much did he get? Exactly. Because mm-hmm. so far, Hoyd has been, like, for us as a reader, the ultimate source of knowledge. He's been the one that we go to for all the answers. Mm-hmm. We, we kind of assume that everything he says is true, that he has way more knowledge than all the rest of the characters, sometimes combined. And now, some percentage of that knowledge between one and a hundred has mm-hmm. just been handed potentially to odium. I wonder if yes. we're going to get a, a Yasna Hoyd scene in Stormlight five where Yasna asks him like, yep. What happens on that planet? And he's like, what planet? 
And then Yasa's like, well, the planet you told me about, the, you know, uh-huh. X planet. He's like, I have no idea what happens on that planet. That's a, that's a problem. Like, <laughs> yeah. Yep. Or there's an even Definitely. more extreme version of that where Hoyd was this huge wealth of knowledge and maybe he's no longer. Yes. And now he's just a dude mm-hmm. that's just going to hang out and not know much. That that's what I wanted. To, I wanted to talk about a little bit. Okay, so I'm gonna make a prediction, and in short, it is that Hoyd was playing some really 3D chess here. Okay. Um, the the reasoning for that is, I, I have to think that. So also, I am making an assumption. I am assuming that that Odium is stealing, specifically stealing these breaths. I didn't actually, when I read it, I assumed that that's what was happening. It sounds like Odium is like, hmm, what do we have here? And just like grabs him and leaves, you know? Right. Um, I'm making that assumption. I didn't think about the potential of them being destroyed or something like that. Um, if Odium is stealing Wit's memory bank here, um, I have to think that Wit for however many years he's been alive and how much he has stored in these, he has to have thought at some point, what happens if something happens to this? Like what I lose this what scarf happens? or whatever. Yeah, like what what happens, you know? So I think that was part of his plan. And I think somehow the memories that Odium has stolen Maybe not fake information. I'm not entirely sure. I don't think it's like a bait. Um, it could be. It, that could be. But but I'm thinking it's like it's somehow in his memory banks, the knowledge that Wit has will shift Odium to like, I guess, have more of a logical sense, more of some kind of sen- sensualness. I, I don't know what to call it, but so, some more common sense, if you will to like literally shift how the shard will function to then like basically save you or, or save people or I don't know. I feel like if you had wit in your head the whole time, like things could get <laughs> difficult for you, you know? Yeah. I, this may be me just being like wish some wishful thinking. And the reason initially why I thought that can't be the case. And this is just wit has lost his memory. This is really bad news is it says wit feels true terror for the first time in who knows how long. But, I mean, I think even if you kind of had this as a plan of, like, I kind of want to bait Odium out to take these memories, you would still be terrified when he does it. You know, like, you would still be, like, scared. You know, that's, like, just obviously scary. Um, But I I keep thinking that there's more to this than, than... just now Hoyt is just normal man. Yeah. You know, I, whatever the situation is, and obviously it's left open-ended for you to theorize on purpose, but I love that Hoyt is exploited here at the end of book four, because it raises the stakes for book five so much higher because in the back of your mind, you're thinking, I mean, how serious can it be? Because Hoyd's there. Hoyd knows everything will be fine. The fact that Hoyd has been compromised is 
a really I, I love that Hoyt has been compromised because it makes me so much more excited for the stakes of book five. And I think this accomplished exactly what I was thinking might happen, just in a different way. My prediction for our, our Hoyd epilogue was that we were going to discover something that would cause us to be suspicious of Hoyd. I thought it was going to be a, he does something shady, now we can't trust him. Right. To do exactly what you're talking about, to raise the stakes. We, we've had Hoyd as a bit of a fallback for a while now. Let's take that away so that now it really can fall apart. That kind of happened just in a different way. Right. It's not necessarily that we don't trust Hoyd. It's now that Hoyd is not, maybe, I mean, we don't even know how this is going to play out quite yet, but maybe Hoyd is not going to be the asset we thought he was. Right. Yeah, I have I have two things. One, I see what you're saying, Trevor, on that, like, this this makes it way more scary for us as the reader for right. our protagonists. Of like Hoyt is kind of a fail safe of, of at least knowing what's going on and what to do next. But now our characters really just gonna kind of have to figure out what to do, you know. And if it comes uh, down to contest of champions and what we were theorizing was it this episode, last episode? I don't remember. Um I think last, yeah. Last episode where we were theorizing um what it, what happens when the contract is void and Odium gets to leave Roshar, and then Wit goes, "Yay, we did it!" Like that's a problem. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if if we if Wit sure. starts celebrating that Odium has left Roshar, that's a problem because yep. his entire thing, for as long as we've known him, is keep the genie in the bottle. The bottle is Roshar, mm-hmm. and if he starts celebrating that Roshar has been freed from Odium at the end of or the middle of book five, end of book five, we've got a problem. Or could this even more directly play into it of if Dalinar is facing a dilemma of do I break it or do I do something terrible? And he turns to Hoyd and he's like, I can't break this, right? And Hoyd's like, no, actually, it's fine. Go eh, ahead. You're fine. <laughs> yeah, not a big deal. Like that could play into this. Yeah. Dalinar was taking action specifically on what Hoyd said. Well, if Hoyd's going to go back on himself or not be able to back up what he said before, that could impact what Dalinar has to decide. Absolutely. Okay. Oh, 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 oh. Okay. I just thought of something really big. So this whole time I've been thinking of one of two things need to happen or else there are major cosmic implications. One, if, if, I think if Hoyd, Hoyd is like our, we talked about this in like the Cosmere 101 or whatever, right? Hoyd is kind of like our interwoven protagonist for the Cosmere altogether. Right. Kind of thing. Um, so I'm thinking he needs to get these memories back if he is going to do this. Either Odium needs to die, like in book five, like Odium is defeated. Yeah. Or somehow he needs to get his memories back from Odium or if, if one of those two things don't happen, then like everyone's kind of in really big trouble, right? At least for a long time. Um, and this is all, this is all assuming that Odium truly has stolen the memories mm-hmm. and stolen a significant amount. It, right. It's also, I think plausible that either he just destroyed or went in and like, Clip. targetedly destroyed 
Right. That, that previous 10 minutes or whatever it was mm-hmm. of he realized, oh crap, he realized who I am. Quick, go back and delete the last 10 minutes and try again. It's possible that Odium doesn't have the entirety of Wit's knowledge or whatever mm-hmm. that might be. That's true. And, and I, I blinked out for a minute and forgot about this, but I just thought of another th- theory potential. So I said that I, I kind of am predicting that Dalinar is going to lose the contest of champions and be sent to the Cosmere on Odium's behalf. Right. What if Hoyd is out of the equation? Like, what, what if he's lost so much memory, he's basically almost like kind of a crazy herald? Like, like almost that level? Okay. What does that mean for the Cosmere, right? I said, like, that has major Cosmere implications of, like, doesn't Odium just go rampant, pretty much? Um, but what if Dalinar kind of takes that role? What if Dalinar being kind of transcended into a Cosmere level is able to, like, in turn, keep Odium at bay? And kind of, if if Hoyd is out of the equation, then which I don't think that will be the case. I think Hoyd will continue to be in the major equation. Right. But if he isn't, doesn't someone need to be in that spot? Or the good guys like lose. That's what I'm thinking. And so I'm thinking maybe Dalinar could be that. Which is really, that's really left field. That's really way up there in my mind. But that's my last little prediction to, I think, to end, honestly, this book for me. Ready for your tangent, Elliot? Oh, Okay. Buckle up because we're gonna completely switch gears. <laughs> we we've been spinning yeah. crazy theories about the where we're headed, everything that's going on in this book. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna go in a completely different direction and talk more about sort of the some of the the themes or concepts of stories like this. And I'm gonna shape this as a little bit of a rebuttal to what Wit is talking about in this chapter, this epilogue, before Odium shows up. Okay. So so we enter in on Wit is just rambling. Talking which to is design. pretty talking to design, this is pretty par for the course for these ep, these Wit epilogues. We usually open curtain opens and Wit is spouting philosophy to somebody. Yeah. In this case, he's spouting philosophy on something that I'm really passionate about. And so because there's no one there in the room to respond to him, I, I want to respond to him. I'm going to read what he says and then tell you where I completely agree with him and where I completely disagree with him. So he's talking about storytelling, which was my, my words, one of my words. And I also, part of me wonders if this is a little bit of a Brandon Sanderson narrative about himself in his writing. I have nothing to substantiate that and wouldn't want to assume that that's true, but I I wonder. Here's what Wit says. And I'm kind of jumping around to just like the Wit dialogue pieces in here. There's other bits that I'm skipping over. Storytelling is essentially about cheating. The challenge is to make everyone believe you've lived a thousand lives. Make them feel the pain you have not felt. Make them see the sights you have not seen. And make them know the truths that you have made up. 
you use the same dirty tricks for storytelling as you do for fighting in an alley. Get someone looking the wrong direction so you can clock them across the face. Get them to anticipate a punch and brace themselves so you can reposition. Always hit them where they aren't prepared. And then he and design kind of banter a little bit, and then it kind of jumps back in. They talk about light weaving a little bit. This is, uh, this is wit. The illusion without light weaving is superior, design, because it's fake, because the audience knows it's fake. When they watch and let themselves be amazed, they are joining in the illusion. They're giving you something vital, something powerful, something essential, their belief. When you and the audience both start a performance, knowing that a lie is going to be presented, their willing energy vibrates in tune with yours, it propels you. And when they walk away at the end amazed, but knowing they've been lied to, with their permission, the performance lingers in their minds because the lie was real somehow. First of all, fun little philosophical spout on storytelling and lies and all that. I'm sure his cryptic appreciates that. He's touching on something I think that's a big part of fiction in general, which is what I usually get heard coined as the suspension of disbelief. There's an element of, you know, you're being told a story that's not real. You're picking up a 1200 page book that you know did not actually happen, the events in this story. It's fiction. But you immerse yourself in it as the, the reader. You allow yourself to be told that lie, that fake, that cheat, because you want to. You want to dive into the story, so you suspend your disbelief. Tolkien talks about this a little bit differently. He actually didn't like the idea of suspension of disbelief. He called it, in his words, secondary belief. More of you set up this secondary world that you allow yourself to enter into. And it's not a, you see that the laws of reality are broken, but you're okay with it. More of you shift your frame of reference into a secondary world where all the laws are consistent, but not necessarily the same as the primary world. And so that's the, that's the escape from the primary world into the secondary world, which he talks extensively in his, uh, in his essay on fairy stories, on fairy which is stories. fantastic. Yep. Yeah, really good. I agree with all that. I agree that suspension of disbelief, secondary belief, is a necessary part of story, and it's part of what makes it awesome. That's part of why the three of us and all of you guys listening and watching have so much fun with this. We, we dive into this stuff, and we sit down, and we analyze, well, how does that fit with the, the laws of this world? Or that doesn't make any sense at all. How can you do that? We, we can do all that because we suspend our, our disbelief. Um, but to, to take it even larger picture than that, I think there's another part of storytelling that is fundamental to fiction for me that wit doesn't really touch on here. And that's something that Tolkien also talked about, which is the fact that myth and fairy contains elements of the real moral truth. He wrote on in, this, in a, one of his letters to, uh, I think it was one of his publishers, maybe, or, or a friend who had, who had asked him a question about this. And he, he specifically said, a story is, is not a real myth or fairy tale unless it contains parts of these elements. And so while it is kind of about the lies and the suspension of disbelief, it, it's also, for me, about the truth as well. We, we see things like 
the moment I quoted earlier where Dalinar talks to Calden and, and, and he congratulates him for his ability to ask for help when he needs it. Yeah. Like that's, that's an element of the, the real moral truth in the primary world of this story is touching on something that is true all the time and allows me to explore it in this kind of secondary world, even though it's relevant to the primary. And so while there is this sort of accepting of the lie that you step into a story that a storyteller is giving you, there's also a tie back from that secondary world you've stepped into back to your primary world where it can change you. I can learn things in a fiction that allow me to come up, become a better person in the primary. And like that is the fundamental reason why I read fiction works like this. And Brandon Sanderson does a fantastic job of it. There's so much in these books that are directly applicable to my life, even though these characters are doing crazy, crazy things that are so not directly applicable to my life. I, I don't think I'm ever going to face down a chasm fiend in, in my life. At least I hope not. But there's yeah, so much that these characters <laughs> go through. Are going out to that, Utah next week. Who knows? Hey, yeah, it's I'm possible. Telling. Inspiration had to come from somewhere on this stuff, right? But there's so much of these stories that I can directly apply to my life. And so that that's a bit of my rebuttal to Wit here. And I, and I know it's Wit. He's probably just being facetious and maybe he would agree with me. But storytelling is, is not just lies and it's not just getting your audience to accept that buy into you and, and agree that they're being told a lie. There is truth because there's elements of stories that apply to the, the moral truth in the primary. I'll get off my soapbox because I know we're like two hours into this episode and then we're way too long. But that is my official response to Wits Ramble to nobody in the middle of the hall. I wonder how Wit would reply to you. Maybe I'll ask a You're supposed to Brandon. be an idiot. Stop saying <laughs> smart stuff like that and whatever it was. Anyway, sorry for the super long bunny trail. That touched on something that I, I really, as you can tell, have strong feelings about, which is what is story and what role does it play in our life? And so if, mm -hmm. if Wit was going to start talking about it, I was going to chime in too. I appreciate it. I enjoyed it. Thank you. you should I send you on another rant? About... <laughs> now, now I'm going to do another monologue, aren't I? Unless you guys have other thoughts. I, I, am, I am done until our full book wrap up. I, I'm spent. I have said all I can say until we start talking book numbers in next episode. Yeah. All right. Well, I've got about three minutes more, so I'll finish this out with the, the end of it. And then, yes, I do have a lot more thoughts for the wrap up, but I do have to finish this since we have closed out a part of the book. We've wrapped up part five. I got to keep with my tradition of, of trying to find a theme for that part and I, I did come to one for this one. The theme I came to was hope. And it felt a little bit like it didn't quite feel right because that's not what I'm feeling at the end of this book. Right. Especially with what we just experienced with wit and odium. I'm a little terrified for yeah. what's going on. I don't know that I feel a lot of hope, but kind of setting the epilogue aside a little bit it still felt like hope was the resounding theme of the story that we got through the end of chapter 117. We got probably most memorably 
Teft and his death. That that whole scene is just full of references to the hope that Teft has inside of him, even in that moment where he dies. It's even references like it 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 didn't even make sense, but as he died, he was full of hope. Yep. And then we got the we got an argument in between Dalinar and Yasna on the relevance of hope. Yasna is very quick to say, "Nope, we we should not be hanging our hopes on this thing. We should be looking at what are the what are the facts? What's the data? What's the logical way to proceed?" And and Dalinar kind of you know argues back of like, "Well, hope is more important than you think it is," and I, I resonated with that a lot. And then there's even a Navani bit that touches on hope, and it comes in a, a conversation with her and the sibling. They've bonded at this point. And they say, I should have had this ready to go. Hold on, let me look this up for a second. They're no talking about like, okay, we're so different. How do we make this work? You you're the sibling says, You're you're a torturer of spren. How can I be bonded to you? And Navani says this. Merely another problem to solve, Navani said, through application of logic and hope in equal measure. And I thought the balance between the two of them as well was pretty cool of this kind of hope that the sibling has, but then also the the logical engineering approach that, that Navani has. So hope there as well. And then maybe the most impactful is Kaladin. The word hope doesn't really show up much in Kaladin's storyline. I looked for it and I couldn't find it, but I think the concept is there. And and in no bigger place than when we see his dive off the tower and he goes down and a lot happens between the top of that tower and the the bottom of the tower. Like four four chapters. Yes. Yes. It's it's very slow. But when he gets to the bottom and he saves Lyran, we get that awesome scene where Kaladin realizes that Liren has the Shash Glyph on his head. And yeah. he realizes in that moment that Liren has recognized the hope that Kaladin inspired in all those people that did that. All those people wrote that Shash Glyph on their forehead because Kaladin inspired hope in them. And that's the moment. This didn't even fully hit me until I was doing the, the rereading for this little bit here. That is the moment when he sees the glyph on Lyrin. That is when his brands heal. And back to the whole, that can't happen until Kaladin sees himself as the one without that glyph on his head, the yep. slave brand. Yep. I think, and this I might be stretching this a little bit, but I think that in that moment, Kaladin finally inspired hope in himself he finally saw there was hope for the future, that there was a reason to hope in that. And the, the people putting that glyph on their fa- on their heads and Liren finally seeing that is enough to final, for Kaladin to finally see that in himself. So the word hope isn't written there, but, but I see it there. So that was my tie-up for part five for hope. I'll talk more about the book as a whole in our, our final wrap-up, but that was my takeaway. I've talked way too long in the last 10 minutes of this podcast here, so we, we better close it out. But that was my that was my thoughts. Thank you. I I really do enjoy your 
your long rants on the podcast. So we get two of them back to back was a, a special. <laughs> you sure did. Yeah, what a what a double double special to close that thing, the book. All right. Any closing thoughts for episode one thirty one before we talk about the book as a whole next week, gentlemen? I'm beat. My brain is is mush at this point. We've we've been through it all. We're theorizing about book 10 in the stormlight archive like yes. what is going on here it's, i did not think i would be hearing about that today honestly i i'm Good excited stuff. i'm excited to look at prologue the stormlight 5 apparently it changes everything so i'm looking forward to that i'm also uh next week we'll be at dragon steel so yes we will That'll be super exciting. I, I'm I'm excited to. I I I'm so glad it planned worked out that we're gonna be stormlight current before we actually go. So glad glad we were able to do it. That we just ended up with a couple two hour episodes, but um, worthwhile. Thanks for joining me, Paul and Elliot. We will reconvene next week. See you next week. Bye bye.